What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Totally 80s. The podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hello, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume. Welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at Totally80s.com. And just a reminder, if you want to see our faces, you can also catch this episode on video on our Totally 80s YouTube channel, so go check that out. And joining me today is my partner in all things 80s, the different to my Tilbrook, the hall to my oats, John Hughes. Lindsay Parker, you're precious to me. You know what I like about you? What? That we can talk about power pop forever. Exactly. <laughs> Especially when we bring on our special guest today. We're joining us again is a musician, songwriter, journalist, and author who has written biographies for Bare Naked Ladies, Todd Rundgren, and a personal favorite of John's, The Kids in the Hall, One Dumb Guy. He also hosts the Record Store Day podcast, where he's welcomed such folks as Sparks, Fred Armisen, Questlove, Matthew Sweet, and many more. And he, alongside S.W. Lawton, quite literally co-edited and co-wrote two books on Power Pop titled Go All the Way, A Literary Appreciation of Power Pop and its well-deserved and much-needed sequel because there was more to talk about. Go further, more literary appreciations of Power Pop. And now there's more verbal appreciations of Power Pop because welcome back for part two of our Power Pop of the 80s podcast. We are happy to welcome back. It's great. I, I've missed you all. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about another, a few other songs that, and I'm, you know, again, every song is up for debate. How do we feel about turning Japanese by the vapors? I feel that's a power pop song. Yeah. I mean, politically it's a hard again, one to go back to, Much but... like the knack did not yeah. age well lyrically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This did no, come but... out in like 1980, 81. Let's put in, no, put it in perspective. I, I, I think it's almost an XTC song. I mean, like yeah. musically, you know, like, uh, just like and a bit like the jam, actually, the jam had a lot of power pop songs, too, that I, I don't know if Weller agrees with me. But uh, but, you know, there is that like, I got you a picture. I got you a picture. <laughs> Very much. Uh, you can imagine Paul Weller singing that song. I mean, and I don't know what the motives for that band were. I don't know if it was a cash in for them to write a very knockoffy record, you know, but it definitely I don't know how how long term their career was, but that moment they, they continued for a while. I mean, John probably knows more than I do, but I don't think they only had one single or one album. They're, they had a few successful singles in the UK. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy is a single. I mm -hmm. think oh, that's them. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and they are they reunited. They have a new record out. Believe it or not, really? Yeah. So well, I stand corrected. Yeah, they're they're same. They're, same Wait, you mentioned the jam because i think you're right uh start for sure is a power pop yeah song. i mean uh you know, uh, a town called malice maybe it may be more mm. but yeah but they definitely have some power pop uh in them and uh, xtc early xtc we, we gotta talk about xtc oh. we've sort of been teasing oh, yeah. them for a while but i mean when you talk about like one of the greatest power pop bands and one of the most prolific but also as you mentioned a while ago paul changed from record to record did not stick yeah. to one thing unlike the neck 
to to go to skylarking with our buddy Todd. Yeah. Producing. So we're going to have a lot of Todd in this podcast. Uh, it was weird. They picked grass as the single when there's a perfect power pop ready-made song. Earn enough for, enough us. for us. Yeah. Earn enough for us. I was, I was dying to scream it out. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, that's, that is, you know, I'm Prairie Prince is on that from the tube. So it's like, it's such a, yeah, it's such a great big hook. And a couple of the other songs could have been kind of power poppy on that one, but definitely that one. You're really super, super girl. Uh, yeah, that's really super. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, Utopia, Crybaby. I think one of the great lost power pop singles. I remember the video on MTV a lot, but boy. I remember uh, Feet Don't Fail Me Now where they were like dressed as caterpillars. That was the best video ever. But to go back to, to, go back to Crybaby though, um, this brings, uh, we had missed it earlier. We kind of skipped over next position, please, I think. Uh, I just want to say, I honestly think that I Can't Take It is one of the greatest power pop songs ever. And that's from Thank Next you. Position, please. And and then Todd contributes. Crybaby is the song that Utopia did. There's a version of that that has become a song called Heaven's Falling. Hmm. And heaven, heaven, if you compare them, they're very similar. I feel like Todd wrote them in the same day. Oh, Todd wow. Rundgren writes Heaven's Falling and gives it to Cheap Trick, who go all the way with the Todd Toddism on that. And Heaven's Falling is a great power pop song, you know, and, and they also covered the motors on that record. But, uh, right. you know, well, but yeah. Well, since we're on the whole like um, subject of Todd, you know, producing things and obviously having a hand in so many other great power pop records that were not his own. How much time do you guys have to talk about the pursuit of happiness with the most oh. underrated band of all time? I've got the whole I day. Love them. No, I no, love no. them so much. I was obsessed with them in 1989 when Love Junk came out. I don't think I listen to anything else for months and actually i have interviewed todd once in my life and this wasn't part of the interview but as we were sitting down and kind of getting acquainted i was trying to break the ice i said oh you produced one of my favorite albums of all time and he goes oh what new york dolls or you know bad yeah. out of hell and i'm like no the pursuit of happiness and he seemed real pleased that i told him yeah. that and i think that record is perfect i think actually a problem with that is they led with the single i'm an adult now which did get some mtv play it was kind of a 120 minute staple but it was in my opinion the weakest song on the record because it was like a novelty song like it's mostly talked and it's very snarky and it definitely did not represent how tuneful moberg is as a songwriter or what a great lyricist he is i mean man's best friend is like a perfect song so she's so young is mm -hmm. a great power pop song um, I, I will say this full disclosure. Mo Berg is a personal friend of mine. And actually, oh, cool. the whole, the tell him I say hello and that he's a genius. Tell him. So I, I, I want to tell you a little story. When I, when I was in the Toronto music scene as, as a musician trying to at a band called the gravel berries and we were, we were on the scene and then someone said, you got to come check out this band that just moved to Toronto from Edmonton. And it was the pursuit of happiness. And I went to see them at this small club called the Rivoli, which kids in the hall fans will recognize the name because that's where the kids in the hall also started a little club. And I walk in and they're, PA tape that they were playing before they went on had like Big Star on it and and the Raspberries and and all these things. I went, okay, I'm already I'm already loving this band because they and they had a Todd Rundgren song on there. I was like, okay, whatever this band is, I know this is their music that they put on before them to set the room. And they come out and they play She's So Young and Hard to Laugh and all these songs, Man's Best Friend and uh, uh and and I just immediately kind of glommed onto them. Actually, funny story. They were friends with a fr with one of my roommates, and I didn't know it. I co come home, like kind of like hunk drunk still, and I'm in my kitchen because it was a shared house with a bunch of people. And I'm in my kitchen, and the pursuit of happiness, who I just discovered that night, are sitting in my kitchen. Oh, that's so they, cool. They'd hung out with my friend after the show, 
And I said, oh, guys, you know, I loved your band. And then we became friends. And then I would open for them at gigs. And I would like, I would feel like they, even though they were the same age as me, I felt like, okay, they are ahead of me for some reason. Mo and the band were super nice people. Uh, and and Mo taught me how to play She's So Young chord for chord in the dressing room. And well. it's always been one of those stories that I love. And, you know, and and Mo and I still, you know, chat every so often. I don't see him because I don't live in Toronto. But, you know, he's he's one of my favorite power pop songwriters. And he's a huge Todd head, obviously. And that's why that's why I love Junk and the follow up one sided story have um, such a Todd thing because it was. Mo was already writing those songs that way. He didn't need to be told by Todd Rundgren how to write a song because he'd already been, he'd already learned it, you know. And um, yeah, so when you mentioned the pursuit of happiness to me, it, it, I'm really proud of them because they're from technically from Toronto now, but uh, you know they're an actual Edmonton band originally. But are they? Uh, forgive my ignorance. Are, are they bigger or were they bigger in Canada than they were in America? Because like I said, in America, there was like a little bit of fanfare around. I'm an adult now, a little bit of MTV play. They went on a big tour of the US with Duran Duran that year, which was an interesting bill to put them on. But I guess at the time it kind of made sense. And I remember them going over actually over very well with the Duran Duran audience when they did that tour would have been, I guess, when Big Thing was, was coming out. Tour. I saw that tour. Yeah. 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 But are they, were the pursuit of happiness bigger in, in Canada? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to say that I, I think they were, they were embraced by Canada's MTV, which was called much music, which still is called much music, I think. And uh, uh, they were on high rotation on, you know, alternative radio and, and some pop rock radio. And they had a, a, a string of songs that were great. They actually went and did a, another album with a guy named Ed Stasium, who mm -hmm. was like a big producer. Yep. And they uh, actually they recorded that during the L.A. riots uh, after uh -huh. Rodney King. Um, and because they were in L.A. and I remember hearing that. Uh, and they had like several big, big songs. And uh, and then they actually did some indie records um, that were really uh, amazing. Some amazing songs that uh just like have big hooks and they again they had that thing where the driving bass and drums was pretty much always almost eighth notes and then big chords but those i don't know what to call them suspension chords and then ooh ah harmonies that was that that those two women vocalists would always define the harmonies which gave it a uh took away some of the masculine sting of the of the crunchy guitar chords and so there was always this almost post Joni Mitchell, Todd Rundgren thing happening on top of it. And uh, if I'm going a little deep on the analogies here, stop me. It's quite all right. I, I was, you know, I made it very clear. I was quite happy to talk about uh, the pursuit of happiness as, as long as you want to, because I'm, I love, I talk about that band. I tell people about that band all the time, but I am wondering if you agree with me that at least in this country in, in, in America, in this United States, that it was not a great idea to have I'm an adult now be the first single because it was kind of a jokey snarky song that maybe would make people like it would, it would make them seem like, you know, a, a frat rock band. It was a miss. I, in my opinion, it was a misleading first single. If I may, I think what happened was it was a, it was kind of a novelty, let's call it in a, and in Canada, it was their first indie single that had gone like it gotten, they got their own video added to Canadian Much Music. Uh, oh, wow. They got it added without any like major label, you know, and they were okay. being played on this video they made right out on Queen Street. And then they got signed to Chrysalis, which was a huge thing. I remember like them getting signed to Chrysalis Records and then saying, our producer of choice is Todd Rundgren and Todd Rundgren saying, yeah, I'll do that. And then we were like, I can't believe this little band suddenly did. So the, it felt like the right thing to do was to repeat the success yeah 
And, but they always had the other songs in the chamber. But I guess what happens is it could either be the smartest thing in the world. It's the same thing with opening with a cover. Yeah. If, if you open with a cover and it's a catchy cover, it's still a gamble because the people might like the song, but not ultimately by the band, but it might also open doors for you that lets the next album go through. I think that it's a calculated thing that in your opinion, and I kind of agree in hindsight, maybe, I don't know if She's So Young would have cleared the bases, as they say in the record business. Like, I don't yeah. know if I don't know if any of those songs would have found, you know, maybe they needed some novelty because you're also selling the phrase selling coals to Newcastle. If you're a Canadian <laughs> rock band and you're going down to the big, bad U.S. market, yeah. it, you know, we, we got them. We got, you know, they, there's a million bands. There's, you know, Letters to Cleo. There's a million bands that are out in America already. Why do they need another one? You know, well, like you, know. you mentioned letters to Cleo, because this seems to be a, yet another thing with this genre that strikes people. Letters to Cleo had here and now, which is borderline novelty with that course, not a surf with pop. Oh, oh. Pop, could there be a more? I mean, I know they're not 80s band. This isn't we're talking. Yeah. That's like no, 90s. But like, could there be a now. more? Could there be a more misleading first single for not right. a surf than popular? I mean. Matthew South. from Not a Server is like one of the most beautiful songwriters. And it was just like, again, a jokey song that was mostly talked, mostly spoken. I wouldn't say jokey, but I know what you mean. Well, like, the video made it jokey, if you remember the video on MTV. Yeah, Wayne, yeah. Stacey's mom. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, a good, that's a good example as well. It's sad because it, it, you can even go back to Radiation Vibe if you want. Uh, you know, yeah. even Chris would say that's a bit of a novelty song. But it, it's it's it seems to be a recurring theme with this genre. Well, let's, since we were talking a lot just now about uh, a band from Canada, which is where Paul's from, let's take it to LA, which is where I'm from, because that was a fruitful in the eighties, a play, a fruitful place for power pop. We definitely talked about two of the bands that three of the bands, I guess that were very successful from the eighties uh, LA scene, which were the Go-Go's, the Bangles and the Plimsolls. The Go-Go's obviously, as you mentioned, Paul came out of a punk scene and then popify it over time. How much time do you have to talk about Red Cross? Oh, because I, I got all day. I got now, all day. I, I, I will all say day. this. And if, if, if Jeff <laughs> McDonald's listening, I, I didn't catch them the first time when they first started making records. I, I was like, oh, what is that? What is that? But all my power pop friends were telling me like they would say enough's enough and Red Cross. You should both check those bands out. Enough's enough. That is yeah. a good one you bring up because they were a power pop band in the 80s dressed in. You know, heavy metal. Mark is a poodle band. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would say Rat was too, if you really want to go down that road. Well, Round oh, and okay. Round is a great pop song. Perfect you know, song. Like, absolutely. Perfect song. But, but, and, and Poison had a few of them too. But yeah. Talk um, Dirty but, to Me is, is is a power pop song, in my opinion, because it's basically, it's She's Tight, you know? So there you go. Anyway, go on. Motley, there's a few Motley Crue songs that might have also, uh, you know, Kickstart My Heart could have been, <laughs> if you toned down the guitars a little bit, it could yeah. have actually been a. But back um, to Red Cross, because they, Red Cross. they yeah, started yeah, yeah, no. as a, as a hardcore heard, band, but then became. And that's, and that's what it is. So when I finally started hearing the the pop part in them, I went, oh, yeah, these guys. In fact, I, I sort of can't believe I haven't had them on my on my uh, Record Store Day podcast yet. I, I maybe I have uh, I've made a mistake and I need to send them out an invitation again. But now that Jeff, you Steve, it, if you're listening to this, yeah. hit up Paul, please get in his DMs at him, please. I well, got Jeff, Jeff in my social media. So if you're if you're out there, Jeff, please. It, it, I came up to Red Cross a really weird way. Uh, I believe 120 minutes played Annie's song like maybe once. Or Annie, Annie's gone. But that's Annie's actually gone. 1990. That was from Third Eye. And that's a great song. But um, being someone who is from L.A., like I said, they they start off as a hardcore band they sounded like black flag or something they were real young 
but it was 1987, I believe, when Neurotica came out, mm-hmm. which yeah. was when suddenly they became this amazing, you know, Peach Kelly pop songs like that, Love Is You. They became a full on like Partridge Family style power band. And I became absolutely obsessed with them. And then they stayed down that path with, um, you know, in the 90s with uh, Third Eye and Annie's Gone, as you mentioned, John. And of course, the Spirit of 76 movie and soundtrack. And I mean, uh, Phase Shifter, probably one of my top well, five albums of the 90s. I came into them way late. And it's it's funny because Paul mentioned much music. I was living in Cleveland and we had much music in Cleveland. For some reason, they jumped on the video for Mess Around and they played that a lot. And I got Show World and then I went back and got Phase Shifter and mm-hmm. I get third eye as a cutout for a dollar 99 back then. So I picked that up and uh, you know, it's not the eighties era, but they're definitely up there when it comes to uh, it, it was, it was 87 when yeah. the neurotic album came out that they started to shift from being a just very, very abrasive punk band to being a very kind of jangly uh, Paisley underground adjacent band and absolutely yeah. amazing songwriters. And being that I'm from LA, I for a very long time had a very distorted idea of how big they were. Much like a, you know, these bands are bigger than Red Cross, but much like Oingo Boingo or X, I like just thought they were like the biggest band in the world because Red Cross, when they would play LA, they would sell out a pretty good sized venue. There would be a line around the block from very very hometown heroes. But I think. Uh, you know, along with the pursuit of happiness, they are absolutely, you know, it's a recurring theme on this episode of, you know, underrated bands, unsung bands. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana. Where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. But while we're, since I mentioned Paisley Underground, we've talked a little bit about that with the Bengals, who, you know, I was about to say arguably, but not arguably are the biggest band that came out of that scene. The Paisley Underground thing was definitely power pop adjacent. That was a very LA thing. The three o'clock is a really good example. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about like the power pop Paisley Underground convergence well i i well john you can go first i guess i i got i brought him up last episode i gotta bring him up again the lucy show uh came out of that paisley underground people don't know about him but they are just an amazing power pop combo from detroit i think they had the mistake of being on a really shifty label back then big time records that was notorious for uh some not so uh, uh <laughs> good practices don't sue me but uh, <laughs> you know it, it was it they had these dark videos you know they, their videos and their image did not match their music they were actually a power pop band in goth drag I think. that it's kind of like they're sort of like the goth enough's enough where like you know the outside <laughs> the book does not match the cover yeah exactly. There's this there's this thread in LA um uh, power pop that and I kind of wrote about it in the second book um, my essay in Go Further is actually about the contemporary LA scene, but I actually trace it back to Emmett Rhodes. And, oh, and, mm. and, and then if you also look at, uh, I'm just going to play a few games here. Like, so Jason Faulkner of Jellyfish and later of the Greys was in, I think he was in one version of the three o'clock. Am I he right? was, and yeah. he, w- he was on the last album and he was on that out. Al- he, they did a cover of a, or I don't know if it was a cover, but they did a song that Prince wrote called uh, Neon Telephone, I believe. That's, that's right. That's right. Amazing. Yeah. And we talked about that on our Prince Protege podcast. Amazing well, song. And, Can and you, you know, wait? I just want to interject real quick. 
that Jason Faulkner was in the three o'clock. He was in the grays. He was in jellyfish. He plays in Beck's band now. And he was in community FK, the goth band. Like I can't, his resume is very diverse. We could do a whole podcast. And just he, did on a, him. he did a record with our Stevie Moore as well, which is a uh, very yeah. out there thing. But so yeah, he's, he's definitely crazy, a hero. Wonderful. An LA hero of power pop for well, sure. But, but the point I'm getting to is that, uh, so Susanna uh, from the Bangles is, is one of those great, and actually all of the Bangles were great record collectors and record nerds. And they, they sought out Emmett to, to work with them early on. And they covered live and, and they were, so the, when I saw the Paisley reunion, that when they played uh, the Paisley Underground reunion played uh, the Fillmore here in San Francisco, and uh, this is the same show that played in L.A. and and you know and they had uh, uh, you know the uh, was it Dream Syndicate, and uh, everybody was up there, and they all sang "Live" as the sort of like an encore song or a finale or something, and it was it really to me sold that idea that this through line went up through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and it continues now with, you know, some of the uh, the people who played on Emmett Rhodes' final album, actually. Uh, mm, so Chris you, Price. And, and, and yeah, Chris Price, who produced it, and Jason Faulkner is on it, and Taylor Locke, who was in um, uh, Rooney originally, and, uh, and uh, you know, some of the other people that are around. Oh, um, uh, Roger Joseph Manning is mm. is on that record from Jellyfish. So it's... And also from Beck's band, and and so and Susanna and I think Amy Mann are on that record. So it's there's definitely a feeling of to me it's a continuum that sort of goes through it goes through the you know the the the, the, the uh, Emmett Studio I guess. <laughs> huh, interesting. Well, there's one more L- obscure LA band I want to talk about. They're super obscure. I feel like you had to live in LA in 1986-ish, and no one remembers them. Although they did begat gilby clark who later of course was in guns and roses do you remember the band candy whatever happened to fun i remember the video whatever happened to fun yeah, they, they kind of a- looked a little bit they kind of suffered from the same kind of enough enough situation big right. hair poodly look that was a pure power pop record gilby clark was in the band yeah i remember like, I do remember later of kill for thrills. And of course, you know, Izzy's replacement, but do, do you remember this or is this just I me? Don't, yeah, here's the thing. And I'll probably have people yelling at me, but I don't remember candy at all. <gasps> it was a one time thing. I think they get like, was, yeah, it was an album. Again, another one of those albums I saw in cutout bins. All it the- was actually a really good record. Do you know who Kyle Vincent is? Cause Kyle Vincent was in the band. Okay. I didn't, Kyle, know, he was, I didn't know that's where he came from. Okay. Kyle Vincent and Gilby yeah. Clark were in the band together. And then Jeff Siegel, who later was in the nymphs who were not a power pop band, but were like, you know, a famous band in LA and mostly famous. Cause Inger Laurie yeah. pissed on a Geffen executive's desk, which is a whole sidebar we don't need to get into, but you yeah. I f- wait, I, I, did I stump Paul Myers you with did. some power pop and, knowledge? You know, I bet sure, S.W. Yeah. Lawton, my co-author uh, from the book, Steve Lawton, would have known them because he's he's definitely of your L.A. Um, vintage, if you will, or or uh, you're, you're like he he knows a lot of those bands that I didn't know, and or or he knows more about the bands that I did know a little about, you know. So that's why that's one of the reasons why he's a great uh, co-curator. Uh, with me because we kind of reached out in two different directions and I pulled in a certain kind of person and, and, you know, we also chose who got to write, write about what and based on their strengths and stuff like that. So definitely the LA, the LA history stuff seems to be 
uh, S.W. Lawden's area on this thing. Well, the reason I, I mean, besides the fact that I, you know, obviously grew up in LA, they were getting played on K Rock, which is the alternative rock radio station here. I'm sure Rodney was playing them, but there was an after school show. It was like a, you know, a local video show called MV3, which I imagine, uh, I don't, I think it might have only been a West Coast show, but I think John might have some knowledge of the show. It was, it was syndicated. It was? Okay. Well, yeah. they used to play whatever happened to fun. Which ended up kind of like, as we've been saying, was prophetic. You know, nothing happened with them and they broke up. But they they had a moment. And it's kind of funny because when I was at UCLA, we taught, you know, as I've mentioned on uh, the College Rock Radio podcast we did with Annie Zaleski, uh, the jellyfish writer uh, for your book. Oh, Annie was on and we had a College Rock Radio thing. And we all talked about how we used to be, you know, college radio DJs. And uh, I used to do a show that was an 80s flashback show. And I remember I was playing Whatever Happened to Fun by Candy because I, of course, own the album, which I will admit, John, I do think I bought from a cutout band. I do think I paid maybe a dollar for it. Dollar very well spent. Yeah. Money well spent. I still have it. Yeah, I got, but, round, I got the knack round trip for 99 cents. <laughs> you can get like kind of their whole discography for like right. five bucks. But anyway, I had this one Candy record. I played Whatever Happened to Fun and the switchboard, you know, or the, the hotline lit up and it was Kyle Vincent calling me. And he's and he said, oh, my friend just called me and said you were playing candy on your show. He goes, is today failed bands day at KLA? Oh, no. He said he didn't say it in a bitchy or a rude or bitter way. He said it like he was making a joke, but he he was amused or bemused. He was like, why are you playing this? You know, like, how do you know about this? So, yeah, it was it was very obscure. But I think anyone should. And they only had, I guess. No, I guess they had. Oh, this is interesting. I just happened to look up their discography. So they had a record in 1985. It was called Whatever Happened to Fun. It was on Mercury Polygram. But according to Wikipedia, they had an album called Teenage Neon Jungle, Rare and Unreleased, 2003. So they did apparently have some other songs in the can, but you know, what, right. much, like many power pop bands, it was not meant to be, but at least, you know, Gilby Clark went on to do big things with his life. Well, one of the things I love about these conversations is that I will always come away with something to look up later. And I, I long ago gave up the idea that I would know everything, you know, yeah. you can't know everything. You can't and that's know the everything. fun of it. It's like, you know, I, I think it, there's that thing. One of the things I hate about the internet is, you know, I read, I write, about Todd Rundgren and I write about power pop and there's this, this, this idea that they're going to gun for you. Do, you didn't know that. Like, and like, and once you give over, there's a Zen thing of letting go and going, yes, you know, <laughs> I'm here to learn. Yeah. I'm here to learn all about what you're telling me for sure. Well, why don't we educate each other before there's definitely like a handful of bands I haven't gone to on my list that actually were very successful that we would be absolutely remiss if we didn't talk about. And we would get those kind of comments like, why didn't you talk about someone? But before we end on that happy note and pivot to those bands, educate me. What are, you know, I've volunteered. We've talked about some of the bands that should have been bigger that other people might not know about. What are some of your guys picks in the power pop 80s genre? I think, well, Power Pop 80s, uh, I think we talked really, we were very U.S. centric because I do think Power Pop is a, unfortunately or fortunately, a U.S. centric genre for in a lot of respects. Mm -hmm. but there was a big Power Pop uh, movement in the U.K. near the end of the decade with, uh, you might, you guys might come at me, but the laws. Uh, oh, yeah, totally the laws. Was uh, that, totally, was that the, eight, yeah. I guess that was about not the late 80s, yeah, early 90s. Yeah. yeah um, I would even say trash can Sinatra's maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, Were you going to say Boo Radley's? By any chance? Oh yeah. Boo Radley's for sure. Uh, the, well, poo, the poo sticks. I know uh, we actually, I mean, it is totally eighties, but everything's blurring. I would actually say the nineties 
were a great time for British power pop because I mean the Boo Rad the Boo Radleys are British, right? Are they yeah. British? I think they yeah. are. Yeah. Teenage fan club. Hello. Teenage fan club. Teenage I mean, fan yeah. club. Enough said. I could do a whole podcast about the brilliance uh, of teenage fan club. I'm going to go there and say that first Oasis record. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely songs on there. I I've actually come back to it recently. I was when I was I was just in the UK for three months doing something and. Uh, there was a lot of uh, Liam Gallagher on TV talking about the history of Oasis. And I kind of went, okay, okay. I forgot. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. You know? We, you know, it's those last few albums that turned us off, but definitely maybe, you know, what about silver sun? Do you remember that band? Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to mention them. They're Scottish and uh, he passed away recently and I don't yeah, remember last his year. Name. Yeah. Uh, but, but golden skin is uh, one of the great power pop songs. I was actually turned on to buy uh, to them by uh, Michael Chabon, the author who oh, wrote wow. uh, in the first edition. Yeah, he's he's always doing that. And like, you know, Guided by Voices is another one that I hadn't I hadn't been sufficiently yeah. uh, uh, keen on the power pop aspect. Uh, and he would like totally turn me on to it. So it was it was James Broad or Broad. And he died yeah. just last, I believe, last November of 2020. And he right. absolutely I mean, there are certain bands that I just like get angry. Like I just want to like stand on the edge of a cliff and just yell about how good they were and how yeah. they should have been bigger. And Silver Sun, again, a nineties band, but absolutely. So yeah, actually it's interesting because to your point, John, it seems like in the seventies and eighties, maybe the bands that were the bigger bands of a uh, power pop genre were American bands. Yeah. But, uh, but of course in the nineties we had all this, but we have, I mean, we have to talk about, this well, is why the if I'm gonna put one out that I think everybody should go and listen to, it's not it's not 80s, but it's close. Uh in that UK power pop genre is the candy skins. Okay, uh, I liked them. Really, really underrated, really good singles, really good stuff that I just think people forgot about. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, let's go back to the 80s and debunk our entire theory that the 80s was all about American power pop. Because I would say one of the biggest bands of the genre in the 80s who had success... And I can't believe it took us this long to talk about him. Is Squeeze? Let's talk about Squeeze. Oh, yeah. Now it's kind of like I don't remember which um, publication it was. It might have been Rolling Stone, but some major publication, kind of early in their career, basically said that Different Tilbrook were the new Lennon and McCartney. Which, of course, you say that it's ultimately a curse. So it cursed them a little bit. But you know, they had so. I mean, um, you know, Black Coffee in Bed is like one of my favorite songs of all time. Annie got your, get your gun, pulling muscles from Michelle. They had so many big songs. And I don't necessarily think they that assessment in the moment it was written was totally wrong. I mean, they're one of the greatest pop songwriting teams I think there is. So uh, let's talk about them for a second. Well, Up the Junction is is uh, one of the great songs in general. And uh, also a lot of their stuff like Slap and Tickle, you wouldn't think it was a power pop song because it probably isn't. But I mean... It definitely has the uh, the elements that I love about power pop, with also this added synthesizer madness, courtesy of Jules Holland. But but the uh, there's something about them. I mean, there's this pub rock thing, right? Pub rock kind of veers into you know Nick Lowe and Brinsley Schwartz and mm -hmm. and then the um, uh, Bram Tchaikovsky 
you know, there's there's definitely the the pub rock genesis of of what became British power pop. I mean, and I'm sure much like here, uh, maybe some of those pub rockers didn't like to be called power pop, yeah. you know. And I think that there's definitely I see where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> but God, I mean, they're just I mean, they had just so many perfect songs, just perfect songs. Well, I'm and a it, massive squeeze fan to this day. Actually, I'm pretty excited about uh, whether or not this happens in North America. I mean, they're out here now. Mm -hmm. uh, by the time they get to the Bay Area, I hope there's still a tour. But because um, things are always changing this year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, but you know they're going and they would go out with Hall and Oates, which is interesting because uh, you would it, think it, Hall and Oates occasionally I would were a power pop. I mean, you make my dreams come true as a private power eyes. Pop. Private, Private eyes. eyes and kiss on my list is Wait great. Uh, yeah, I, squeeze. Isn't it weird that their biggest U.S. hit was Hourglass? Again, it wasn't um, tempted. I would have, which is no. not a power pop song, but I would have assumed yeah. it was tempted, especially because it had a second life in reality bites in the nineties. It was Hourglass. Tempted Take it to the bridge. Go to the moon. Yeah. Did not even make the top forty here. Uh, it came close. I think it was like forty-five. But uh, yeah, Hourglass again. Wow. The novelty song, and it's what their their biggest hit here. And eight six five four three four seven. That was the other hit. Yeah, that was. I remember that being on like commercial huh. television a lot. Um, oh, eight six seven five three zero nine. Is that a power pop song yeah, by Tommy Tutu? Yeah, so, yeah. Sure. Is Jesse's? Well, we haven't talked about Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield oh. power pop all the way. Power pop all the way. Skinny yeah. tie even on right there. Yeah, I've done something for you, written by Sammy Hagar. What? 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 Sammy Hagar's best work. That was I've that song. I've done everything for you. Was written by Sammy Hagar. I did not know that. You yeah. stumped me again. Um, the middle, <laughs> the middle of Jesse's girl um, when he goes into these harmonies. Uh, there's that middle section, and it reminds me of uh, Todd Rundgren. Um, there's like this big, massive wall of like chordal harmonies that that happens in there. Yeah, I always thought that if I ever sat down with Rick Springfield, like we'd get along. He probably has a lot of the same records I have. I don't know. Absolutely. Well, going back to England for a second, I did want to branch out to England and also down under for a second. I would actually, I have a feeling you guys will agree with me, but I'm just going to put it out there. I would say one of the most successful power pop, pure power pop bands of the 80s was the Outfield, who a lot of people don't realize were British because they kind of just seem American in their yeah. looks and their aesthetic. But I mean, your love... Could there be a more perfect song? But uh, people think of them as a one-hit wonder, but they weren't. They were like a three-hit wonder. All the love in the world, uh, and that other one. Say it isn't so. <laughs> not not the Hall and Oates. Say it isn't so. The outfields. Right. But I mean, your love is your love became one of those songs that like was on like Laguna Beach or the OC or the Hills, and became one of these songs that like millennials and young people they like kind of like don't stop believing. Like people would hear it at a club, and somehow kids knew it, and it I had just, like this Saturday Night Live skit about it, which was one of the best musical live sketches of on Saturday Night Live ever. But that I would say the outfield were very pure power pop in their sound. It sounds like Paul has a dissenting well, opinion. Just, there's this one thing that would just always irked me about your love was that when it came mm -hmm. out, like he sang so much like Sting on that one. Oh my God. That I, that I, wasn't I, his I, voice just like that? Didn't he just have yeah. a high voice? I no, don't know, fault. but I felt like it was a little bit like, you know, I don't want to lose. Like, <laughs> and, just, and then also the harmonies were completely the cars. Like, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. I don't want Neither of these are minuses to me, though. Oh, no, I know, I know. But when I heard it, I remember thinking there was, okay, the post new wave era for me was so great that there was such an originality. Every artist had a, their own thing. Like Susie and the Banshees, uh, you know, Christine the Strawberry Girl did not sound like XTC. You know, there was mm -hmm. a lot of bands every week that had new 
a new take on it. Even the early cure, you know, boys don't cry was such a, you know, that's kind of a power pop song. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. I would uh, say in some, a lot of the stuff on head on the door as well, like in between yeah. days, close yeah. to me, even yeah. maybe definitely in between days, so definitely Friday. Have, I'm in love and songs so like that. The band had someone else's, like signature at the front of it, I was kind of like quirked out by it a little bit. And I don't Lindsay, know. Be, right. I don't mean to be an asshole, you know. No, you're not. And Lindsay, the problematic lyrics of your love. Sorry. Well, I mean, this is a recurring thing. Can we just do like a podcast about problematic lyrics? It would be hours long. Every problematic lyric of the, like just the heavy metal genre alone, just like the Motley Crue and Poison songs, it would be a long podcast. We do have to take things in context. That but part. let's go uh, into. I said I wanted to do a little bit of down under stuff. Is Split Ends a power pop band? Yes. Uh, when by the time Neil Finn took over, um, yes. By the time Neil Finn wrote uh, "I Got You," uh, and uh, and then uh, I guess um, uh, uh, was, six was months it? in a leaky boat. But the other, uh, I see red. I see red. You know, red. and and uh, six months in a leaky boat was definitely in that realm. But I think "I Got You" was definitely more. Oh, what's the matter with you? History mm -hmm. repeats. History, history yeah. ever repeats, mm -hmm. which actually has that. Goes all the way back to the the Pete Townsendy thing we were talking about that element of the outro of History Never Repeats could have been like a Who song. It was like such a great. I mean, the power pop end of the Who, and uh, no, no, no. And I, um, I, yeah, I'm a huge Neil Finn fan to this day because of the impression yeah. he made with, you know. Can I just tell you a little braggy story? Please, I'm. I'll, I have all the time in the world for any talk about Neil Finn. I think he's so a god. So when I I had him on the show finally. Um, Years and years ago, I was in Toronto, and uh, I'll make the short version. So, so uh, Split Ends had broken up, and I saw in a record store uh, the Crowded House first album, and it was someone had written in pencil on it, a wax pencil. This is the guy from Split Ends. So I knew Crowded <laughs> House. So I, I bought it. Immediately. That's very helpful. What a great, what a what a, a oh, great yeah. little well, note for you. Sunrise Records in Toronto, and I think I eventually met the guy who wrote it. Uh, it was uh, uh, a, a guy named Dave, but. Um, and on that same day, I bought the World Party first album, but we'll talk about that another time. Uh, but uh, but so I I I I think oh, I gotta go see Crowded House, and but they were opening for Bruce Hornsby in the range at Massey Hall. Now Bruce Hornsby had a late blooming success and wasn't used to touring a lot, and his throat went out halfway through the tour because he was being. Remember, he had a huge hit. Yeah. So Crowded House was supposed to open that show. They were in Toronto with no show, so they announced a split a, a spot show that they were doing at this place called the uh, the Diamond Club which was, you know, a nice little venue. And uh, I, I just went down. I just, oh, yeah, this is great. It's even better because I get to just see Split Ends, I mean, um, Crowded House. Mm -hmm. And it was the original lineup, and they, and they didn't have a full evening of material yet. So wow. they played the album, and then they played a few, and then they were doing this thing where they were daring the audience. Uh, they said, you know, yell a song, we'll play it. And so somebody yelled, six months in a leaky boat. And they, uh, they Was it you? It. No, was it you who yelled no, it? No, but it gets better. It gets <laughs> okay, better. Okay. So this guy yells it, and then I see they go, "Well, you should come up and sing it to the guy." And the guy was, no offense to the guy if he's ever listening to this, but he wasn't very good. And he goes up there, and he's a little bit drunk, and he doesn't get it at all. And you know, and then they thank him because they're good guys, and they pat him on the back and send him back down to the audience. So <laughs> I yell out, "I got you!" And he goes, "Well, you have to come up and sing it. That's the rule." Oh, Luckily, wow. I had covered this song and knew it. And I knew exactly where the trouble was for me in the higher part. So I got up there and I sang it and channeled the, the you know, I went, I got you. And I had it. I had the perfect inflection. And then Neil looked at me like, like, oh, he knows it. And then, but then I knew I couldn't do the, I 
I don't know. So I waved him in like you do, like <laughs> come, in, come in as the chorus is coming up. I got it. And then I did the thing that I never had this clarity in my life before. I waved to the audience, thanked the band and jumped back in the audience. Like rock star move. Quite stage dive, but I kind of like jumped down towards the audience and, um, and then they said, hey, thank him. That was great. You know, and then afterwards I went up to him at the stage door or the side door. And I said, I said, hi, that was really fun. Thanks a lot. And he was wearing an XTC T-shirt. <laughs> and I thought, OK, now I'm in love with this guy. So, wow. so then years later, I was a journalist and I was interviewing them and I interviewed them again. And then I saw them again. And then and then so I've had this long relationship with Neil Finn that started on that day. And like to me to sing, I got you with you know Nick Seymour and Paul Hester, God bless him. And uh, it was just, it, it's always, you know, if I have any war stories to tell like the kids today, that really happened. That was an amazing story. That so. is absolutely a great story. Well, we're almost out of time, but there is another down under band that I feel like we should at least pay some lip service to. That's the Hoodoo Gurus who are, so I uh -huh. believe, su supposed to tour America. Well, they were before the pandemic. We'll see, yeah. but hopefully they'll come back. But I mean, I, um, I, I imagine they had some success here, kind of 120 minutes. They actually sort of overlapped into like the college rock thing. But I mean, what great songwriting that What's band What's my had. scene was them, right? What's yeah. my scene is like the biggest. And you know, I stole, I stole that in one of my own songs. I remember... <laughs> taking the, the chord progression from the verses and then I wrote a different melody and a different lyric, but I remember loving that chord progression, you know, and another thing I've been wondering lately, lately. you know, and I, I did another song where I had the same up chord pattern. And I remember telling everyone I stole it from the Hoodoo Gurus, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Bitter, Bittersweet. It's a great single. Miss Free Love 69 is a great single. Uh, I, I want to, since we're down under, I want to give a shout out to New Zealand a little bit. The Swingers. One good reason. Do you guys know that song? I don't know it. And oh, split ends are from New Zealand as well, yeah, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Right. Yeah. There are yeah, yeah. And they would hate that if you said they were Australian. Yeah. 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 The other single counting. So make sure. Uh, there's your homework, counting the beat and one good reason by the swingers. Actually, okay. don't know them, them at all. Don't know them at all. Related to split ends. Uh, you'll you'll see when you and the bass player went on to be the bass player for Midnight Oil. So there you go. Oh, there you go. Well, let's bring it back home with one last band here in the United States. Because when we talk about sort of the archetype of the lyrics about, you know, a lot of power pop lyrics being about like longing and unrequited love and, and this sort of thing. Smithereens. Got to mm -hmm. talk about the smithereens for a second. Mm -hmm. back, yeah. to back to Ed Stasium. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Really? Which yeah. I, think, okay. I think that's why the pursuit of happiness went with them on, uh, on the, their downward spiral album. Mm -hmm. They, they used to cover a girl like you uh, by the smithereens. And I think they, yeah, I mean, I haven't talked to Mo about this specifically, but I'm pretty sure that's why Ed Stasium did the third pursuit of happiness record. So, yeah, no. So, yeah. So Smithereens, A Girl Like You is one of the great songs. I mean, it's just, you know, and, and of course, Behind the Wall, uh, was it Behind the Wall of Sleep, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Blood and Roses, right? Yeah, is that sure. yeah, and it all comes to me. And that voice. House that we used to live in. Like, there, did they, did he, did Pat write a single song that was about like love working out or being requited? <laughs> I don't think he did. I really don't no, think he did. No. And Another a power pop. Loved. Uh, collaboration with the Smithereens and Belinda Carlisle on Blue Period. Yeah. Really? All right. Yeah. Uh, also, Kate Pearson sings on A Girl Like You, right? Yes. Uh, that also, is right. Yep. Also, but yeah. In a Lonely Place, Strangers When We Meet, Behind the Wall of Sleep, Only a Memory. If how could, you know, every house that we used to live in, Drown in My Own Tears, Girl Like You, Yesterday Girl. Like, tell me when oh, did things go wrong? Girl. Like, did they, yeah. did they, they had no songs that were about like, we're in love and everything's great. Like it was all, but I think that is probably, and this is a good way to sort of 
end things with like, let's just talk in general about like the lyrical themes of power pop, like that sort of like kind of awkwardness of having a crush on someone who doesn't know you're alive or doesn't love you back. Or like, you know, that's a re that's kind of like the bread and butter of power pop, right? This, or like yeah. sexual frustration, frustrated, one-sided lust, all that. That's like kind of what, you know, why is that like such an important element of power pop? Well, I guess it comes back to what we're talking about. I mean, uh, in my original definition of power pop, I had mentioned that it's always Friday night and there's always that person you wanted to see from school is at the mall. Well, the thing about those things is quite often those, and by the way, malls, how dated is that as a reference? Uh, but uh, uh, part of that is the unrequited love aspect of it because you wouldn't, there's, you know, uh, even David Mamet would agree there's no scene without the tension and the tension being that you're just doomed to not really get, you know, either you're not going to meet the girl or boy. And if you do, it's not going to work out. I mean, and that's a more exciting story than I met you. We got married and everything's great. Um, you know, which is my life, by the way, I just want to say uh -huh. I met the, I met the girl of my dreams in 1986 and we haven't looked back. So, Congratulations. But, you know, and it's, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I, I, I could never write a song about my life unless <laughs> I write about unless I write a song about those fights that you have in a long term relationship. And that's where some of the more mature songwriters do. But power pop isn't about growing up. Power mm -hmm. pop isn't about mature attitudes about things. It's about idealism. It's about sort of, um, like I said, the eternal Friday night, you know, it's and the, the immediacy of now and the celebration of the first time you felt something. And usually those things don't work out. Aww. I know. Well, I, 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 it's a very eloquent way of the, putting it. The knack had a B-side called frustrated. There it is. Well, and, you yeah. know, we started with the knack. We're ending with the knack. We got the knack. Circle. <laughs> the circle of life, which is not a power pop song. So, no, yes. <laughs> maybe someone could remake it as a power pop song that's probably a bad idea no one does oh, that uh, one thing i just want to say quickly silver sun did a cover of uh of rush uh oh god what was the song and they rushed they, the band yeah and they made it into a power pop song oh now i'm blanking someone's yelling at the uh at the speakers now but uh they took um was it spirit of radio or the anyway the, the, they well, they took a they took a song by Rush and made it into power pop and if, look it up Silver Sun covering Rush. Well, it's so my great. my I god, I mean, if you can do that, you are one of the best power pop bands ever. Then they were, they really were. Well, Anyways. I I feel we'll just end it on that note because it's always good to end the power pop or any po podcast with sort of like giving our listeners like little notes about you know the homework they can do after the show so thank you so much a very special thanks to our guest today paul myers his books on power pop are available now on amazon and even those physical bookstores and make sure to listen and follow the record store day podcast with paul and his special guests i've been Lindsay parker and i've been joined today by john hughes and we want to thank you for listening remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and we'll catch you next time this was totally 80s the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, Goal! 
You can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.